This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, everyone. I'm Megan Teets, and this is Sorta Awesome. Welcome to the show that is all about uncovering the awesome in the everyday. Each week, my co-hosts and I give our favorite tips, share our best stories, and confide our true confessions as we invite you to join us in the pursuit of awesome. This is episode 47 of the show. We are brought to you this week by HealthyMoving.com. Healthy Moving is all about exercising less, moving more, and feeling better. Visit healthymoving.com slash sorta awesome or text sorta awesome to 33444 and we'll hear more from Healthy Moving's Jen Hoffman later in today's show. I wanted to tell you all thank you so much for supporting the show with your Amazon shopping. Just as a reminder, you can now go to sortaawesomeshow.com slash Amazon, and that link will take you right to Amazon's homepage. When you fill your cart with everything from fractionated coconut oil to Downton Abbey on DVD, Amazon will throw a few pennies our way. Just as a reminder, it costs you nothing to shop Amazon through our link, but it means so much to us as we work on building a better show for you with your support. And that link again is sortaawesomeshow.com slash Amazon. Well, this week I am joined by our favorite Hollywood housewife, Laura Tremaine, and we have had a great time planning a super interesting show for you guys today. As you know, it is award season. The Golden Globes, the SAG Awards have already been handed out. The Grammys were this week, and the Academy Awards are later this month. We figured since entertainment is on the minds of people right now, we might as well just lean into that and talk all things entertainment industry this week. We asked you guys, the awesome community, what questions you have about working in the entertainment industry. And Laura is not only going to tackle some of those questions herself, she also pulled up a chair and invited someone who is an expert in the field to answer some of your questions as well. And we're going to get to all of that in just a few moments. But first, we're going to start the show the way we always do with awesome of the week. Laura, what did you bring this week? Hey, awesomes. I am fresh off of a family vacation in Hawaii. So my awesome of the week is the mom swimsuit. Oh my gosh. It's that time of year. (laughs) It's that time of year. I fully embraced it. It took a couple of years because I was a straight bikini gal for a long time. Love a good bikini. A skimpy bikini was all I wore for a long time. And now life has changed (laughs) and I am all about the mom swimsuit. The mom swimsuit. Tell us all about this. 
Wait, I want to say up front that this is not at all about body shaming. Right, right. Um, I mean, not to say we don't have our own insecurities about our bodies at any age, at any time. That's really a whole other podcast episode. But what I'm talking about in the mom swimsuit is like comfort and fashion while by the water. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Yes, yes, yes. And my priorities about swimming suits have changed because I am no longer lying on a chaise lounge. (laughs) Right. Yes. Soaking in the sun and looking for my drink. I am now usually chasing a four-year-old with a pool noodle, going down a water slide, jumping in the waves. (laughs) Yeah. So you have to make some different choices. Yeah. I I don't have time to worry about if things are popping out or... Right. I, I need to feel very secure in my yes. swimwear. Yes. Yeah, so, it's a whole new ball game when you are chasing a little one around the edge of the water, for sure. Yes. A mom swimsuit for me is usually a one-piece. I know that some people have had luck with like a full-coverage bikini or a tankini, but I don't really like those for me. I really like a good one-piece because I like to have coverage in all the places. Yes, yes, yes. And I think if you just have a cute pattern or like an interesting detail, then it takes it from being plain or, you know, not cute to be, you know, you can feel just sexy and fun in your one piece. I've had really good luck with J. Crew. They have good mom swimsuits. Okay, good. And I got a really sexy mom suit from Michael Kors. Okay. And then my favorite one that I bought, and I now have two of these, one I bought last summer and one I bought before this trip, is from a brand called Next, N-E-X-T. Okay. Now, it's more of like, almost like an imitation wetsuit. It has little cap sleeves. So it's it's not like what you would want for your regular, you know, day at the community pool. But when you're doing a lot of activities, like in Hawaii, we did snorkeling and you know, stuff like that. It is great because it, it also protects you from the sun, which is important important to me, but because it's very full coverage, it, um, holds everything in (laughs) (laughs) and you can move, you can be active and you're, you know, in and out of the water and yeah, you can, you can move. You don't have to be self-conscious in any way that things are flying about or that anything. And so I love it. And I, you know, look, I still own some bikinis. I even wore some bikinis last week, but I'm feeling like we should just embrace the mom swimsuit and get out there with our kids. Because you know what? This is another point. Um, Friend of the show, Jessica Turner, who was on the show last summer, she wrote a really good post several years ago about feeling uncomfortable in your swimsuit and not wanting to be in photographs with your kids or not wanting to be playing with your kids in the water because you were feeling so self-conscious in your swimsuit. And she wrote this awesome post about just get out there and do it. Yeah. And I can't, I, I will put a link to this in the show notes. It was really inspiring to me as a mom whose body has changed, but also who wants to be like enjoying time with their family and looking cute, all of those things at once. I feel like it can be done. And I have discovered the, the way to do that in the mom swimsuit. Love it. Love it. I'm going to put photos and links if anyone's interested in my secret post. I write a monthly 
email called The Secret Posts. They come out. I stopped officially blogging, but a lot of this is original content, that the type of thing that used to be on my blog. And I'm going to do a section that will come out this month of my favorite mom suits with links and photos and things like that. So if you want to sign up for my secret posts, you can go to hollywoodhousewife.com and there'll be a big sign up right there. Perfect. Perfect. I can't wait to hear because people are always looking for like specifically tell me what brand you like, which, you know, which one from this brand was the best. So I'm so glad you're going to do that. We will be totally looking forward to that in the secret posts from you this month. Love it. Okay, mine is a TV show that is actually airing right now in real time, (laughs) which I just basically am never actually getting to enjoy. I have gotten so spoiled to the Netflix binge and to catching things later when you can watch the whole series straight through. I cannot remember the last time I really started a show from the beginning, but I had so many people texting me, messaging me, asking me, are you watching this show? That show, which is getting a lot of buzz right now, is American Crime Story, The People versus O.J. Simpson. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's so great. It's on FX, but and we don't have cable. I will say that through Amazon Prime, you can buy a season pass. They have the first episode up for free, which is how I watched it. And then you could either buy it by the episode from Amazon if you wanted to or or do the whole season pass. Or if you have FX, you can just tune in and watch it through your cable provider. So the if you in case you have not heard about the premise of this show, which again, it's everywhere right now. So I, I'm confident that you have. But the premise of the show is that it tells the story of the O.J. Simpson's the O.J. Simpson trial, starting really from the moment that Nicole Brown Simpson and Ron Goldman were found murdered. And it takes you as a viewer all the way through all of these events that unfolded from that moment on. Laura, I have to tell you, I was a little skeptical about just how interesting this show could be because I was not a little kid when this happened. In 1994, it was the summer before my senior year of high school, and I thought I, I thought I knew a lot of this story just watching it unfold in the press, in media coverage, in real time. But already, two episodes in, there are already things that I had either forgotten or that I just had no idea were going on based on what the media was reporting at the time. I know. I've learned a lot. I said that to Jeff the other night. We are also watching it. We also never watch stuff in real time, and we happen to be watching this because of all the buzz. But I was at summer camp during right. um, yeah, yeah. the O.J. Simpson thing, and I, go to, I went to summer camp as a kid for a whole month. And so I literally missed the entire thing. So even by the time the trial rolled around, I just wasn't invested in it. I was a young teenager and I just, it wasn't my thing. So although I know about, you know, just because pop culture knows a lot about this story, I've learned a lot watching the show. I'm, I'm hoping, I'm assuming it's pretty accurate. I think so. I did read an interview at Vulture with the writers, Scott Alexander, Larry Karashevsky did an interview at, at, at Vulture and we'll put a link in the show notes to that. And they, they, the way they talk about the show, they feel like presenting things truthfully is really important to them. Now, the spin that the production gets is, I do have to say, it's a little, it's a little over the top. I mean, you have an incredible cast here. We have uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. as O.J. Simpson, John Travolta 
playing a very bizarre, like distractingly bizarre rendition of Robert Shapiro, um, David Schwimmer playing Robert Kardashian. I mean, it's a star-studded cast for sure. And the the way the show is shot and directed and put together, it, it's a little campy. And I have to say that I think that Ryan Murphy's influence on the series is very evident in that. Sarah Paulson is also in it. Right. And I'm a big fan of hers, really big. And I've read some people saying they think this is like her best work She's fantastic, ever, yes. Which is interesting. It is cheesy. You know, that was Jeff's critique of it as we're watching it. But we also cannot look away. Yes. I watched, I'm telling you, I went to watch the first episode because I was like, it's free. I can watch it on Amazon. I will give it a try because I had so many people asking me about it. I was like, my gosh, I'll check it out. But I'm skeptical. And it does, it has a strange, almost like a, like a winky feel. Like it's totally winking at the audience. But at the same time, there's, there are scenes that are really moving, particularly David Schwimmer's Robert Kardashian is an incredibly sympathetic character. I I agree. He's good. He's good. I didn't know anything about him or his friendship with, with OJ Simpson going into this, but I think that, you know, Ryan Murphy, I knew Ryan Murphy before this from Glee, which was one of my favorite series. He also does things like he did Nip Tuck, um, American Horror Story. He has Scream Queens that's currently in production. So, I mean, I think that's kind of his touch. He he can do things in a really cheesy, really over-the-top way, but at the same time, understands nuance of dynamics and emotion enough to make it to where you want to keep watching and you you start to have feelings for the characters and for the way the the story's playing out. So, yeah, you have to have a really interesting touch on this story, I think, because so many people have big feelings oh, yeah. about um, the murder, the trial, the, the landscape, yeah. the attorneys, the landscape of Los Angeles at the time, which was, you know, in a lot of racial turmoil. People know a lot about this subject. And I think that often people don't want to revisit or rewatch something where they already know a lot about the topic and especially when they know the outcome, Mm -hmm. but people are watching this anyway. I think that's a testament to how, how well done it is. Absolutely. Yeah. So as we are taping the third episode of the series is going to air this week. So it is not too late to get in on this. If you're not already watching it, I'll tell you what, it's definitely a water cooler show that I think people are talking about as each episode comes out. So, so yeah, that is again, that is American crime story, the people versus OJ Simpson, and it is on the FX network. So I mean, honestly, Laura, there is nothing like the entertainment that we are digging into that we become so obsessed with to get people talking. So we had, we're just thinking about, wouldn't it be so fun to do an episode about the entertainment industry, especially because we are in award season and lots of great things are, lots of great conversations are being uh, had about entertainment right now. So Laura, before we dig into the episode, I was wondering if you could remind us of how you got your start in the entertainment industry. You did not grow up in Los Angeles. You were not always the Hollywood housewife. Where did you start and how did you get to where you are now? My path is pretty traditional, honestly. It doesn't have some of those like crazy magical elements that some people have in their Hollywood stories. I moved out here after college without a job or 
without knowing anyone and was going to be content to bartend or work at Starbucks, which a lot of people in LA come out here to do as they forge their way. But instead, I did end up getting the lowest rung on the ladder production assistant job on a special for MTV. And I got that job from my sorority sister's uncle's ex-girlfriend's brother. <laughs> that's perfect. That is like, that's how that's how things happen. That is how it works. So if anyone tells you it's it's not who you know, they're wrong. It is exactly who you know, even if you don't know the person you know. Right, right. So he got me a very, very, very entry-level job, and then I just did what people do in almost any industry, which is I just worked my way up. So I did a few shows as a production assistant, and then I became a um, production coordinator, and then I became a production manager, and then I became an associate producer. And just the same as anything else, you do a few shows at the level you are, and maybe you move up or maybe you don't. In the entertainment industry, there's several different tracks you can be on. You can be on a production track, which is what I was on. Actually, it's very logistical. Not administrative isn't quite the right word, but kind of. You know, you might be dealing with budgets and call times and ordering trucks and right. organizing the people. That's a production track. That's what I ended up on. There's a creative track where you might end up as an assistant in a writer's room, and then you work your way up that kind of way. You know, then, of course, there's a talent track. It's There's several different ways. In that way, the entertainment industry is like a lot of different industries, but that might be the only way. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yes. That it's like other industries. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's a lot of freelance. There's a lot of people shift around from titles and different types of shows from scripted to reality, then, then to daily, then to a talk show. You know, that's really common to to move around like that. So I just did sort of the traditional thing. And then I, I worked at MTV for several years. Uh, I worked on a Paramount movie, which is where I met my husband. I ended up working on a Fox television series for a couple of years, uh, about three seasons of a show about nannies who, who went into homes to transform homes. Uh, then I worked on a show for the CW. And then I worked on several shows through MTV or VH1 all in between there. So it's very common to move between networks, to move between shows. A lot of times people will find their group and stick with that. So if, you know, if you're a camera guy and you're working with five other camera guys and they're on one type of show and then that show's over or get canceled, then maybe all five of those camera guys will be hired, you know, on the next show that a producer goes to. You know, it's a lot of times you kind of move in packs. Right. But it's, It's typically a lot of freelance in this town. And when I decided to stop working in television, I was um, a production manager on a show for the CW. So that's it. That's how I worked. And um, it was an interesting, you know, seven, eight years before I got married. And then I decided my husband, Jeff, has a really intense Hollywood career. And I was really disillusioned with the kind of work I was doing. And we wanted a family and we just decided it would be easier and make more sense on a bunch of different levels for, for one person to kind of be the stable and flex the stable and flexible one at home while, (laughs) while he did every, you know, while he was able to manage all of the shows and movies and commercials and things that he does. And so that's how we've been 
you know, for the last eight years. Yeah. So you became the stable person with the flexible schedule who basically runs the whole ship while he does his work out there in the entertainment industry. I love that. I love I think it's so funny that you just left and went out to Hollywood just to see what would happen. And you wound up doing so much production work and behind the scenes work in reality TV, which I'm sure is not what you originally had envisioned, but that is where you found yourself. In fact, we got a question from one of our Hangout members about reality TV, wondering basically how much of reality TV can we believe? How much of it's real? How much of it is scripted? And I know you got really the inside look at how that all comes together when you were working. So reality TV is all about the casting. It's all about casting. Okay. You you cast people who are going to get explosive. You cast people who maybe won't get explosive, but are the type of people who live in such a way as to cause explosions. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> and then you put all of those people in a situation. Yeah. So... The situations are usually set up or planned or at least mapped out. I mean, you have to in certain ways. You know, depending on the show, reality TV is is a really broad genre. Either you're actually physically putting them in a house, such as Big Brother, or you're actually putting them at a party where all of their enemies are going to be or whatever. You put them in some sort of a situation that is kind of a setup, and you can usually tell that. But then the reactions are often fairly genuine because right. you, you've cast them to be that because way. So you cast them well, yeah. Right. So I guess it depends on if you call that manufactured drama. I do think that's fairly manufactured drama, especially at this point where people who are angling to get on reality shows maybe play up their own dramatic right. reactions. Yes. But often, I mean, people really are mad at each other and that, and that kind of thing. And even for shows that don't thrive on drama per se, but are still technically reality shows, those are just as contrived. Like HGTV shows, for example, they're not actually picking those houses. Yeah. You know, I mean, right. they've already chosen the house they and they just be, pretend yes. to go look at these other houses. Yeah. A lot of times they already have purchased the house. They've moved in. And then when filming is taking place, they have to move all of their stuff out. So their house appears vacant. I mean, there's definitely some magic happening behind the scenes to bring us a lot of our reality shows. Yes. I mean, they have to be casting, like when they're casting those families, that family has to be in contract on a newly purchased house. Right. Yeah. Like they have already chosen their house. So, so that part maybe isn't real or definitely isn't real, but then like the renovations are real. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's maybe a, a blend of the real and the not real. <laughs> it's a it's a blend, a heavily slanted blend on what makes good TV. But it's been eight years since I have worked in the entertainment industry and on any type of reality show. However, I do happen to have someone in my house who <laughs> who daily works in um, entertainment and in Hollywood with his production company that he created called Gorilla Flicks. And so we thought he was better positioned to answer some questions that we got in the Hangout group about the entertainment industry. And we're going to get to that when we come back from our break in just a few moments. 
Hey, awesomes. Jen Hoffman from HealthyMoving.com here. I've got another tip for you about how to feed your body more movement nutrients throughout the day. How we stand has a huge impact on the health of everything from our feet, knees, hips, and back to our core and pelvic floor. But so much of the posture cueing that we normally hear is about conforming to some aesthetically pleasing standard. Instead, I want to help you focus on standing in a way that uses the most amount of muscles and puts the least amount of stress on your joints. Here's how to start. Grab your cell phone charger. Take the end that goes into the phone and place it beside your hip. Now, see if you can back your pelvis up enough until the end that goes into the wall is beside your ankle bone. That helps you stand with a vertical leg. This is one of the most powerful shifts you can make to really improve the health of your joints and muscles. Plus, it's your hamstrings and glutes that hold you up here instead of your quads, so you get some backside tone in just standing in better alignment. I've got a video of this and a couple other tips for how to stand in healthy alignment for you. Just head to healthymoving.com slash sorta awesome or text sorta awesome to 33444. Okay, we are back. Before the break, we told you we're gonna sit down with Laura's husband, Jeff Tremaine. We have some great questions from you all about the entertainment industry, how it works. We're going to hear how Jeff got his start in Hollywood and in making films. And uh, it is a fantastic interview. I can't wait to share it with you all. I do want to tell you there are a few moments in this interview that are not that safe for little ears. So you may want to be mindful of that. But Jeff has been so gracious to come and just share all kinds of insights that I think you are going to be surprised and find highly, highly enjoyable as we listen to his insights on the entertainment industry. Hey friends, I'm so excited to introduce to you today, Jeff Tremaine. Jeff is the creator, director, and producer of four feature films, all of which have been number one at the box office. He has created and produced multiple TV shows, including the culture-changing Jackass series and the very popular Ridiculousness. He's also directed or produced the documentaries Birth of Big Air, Angry Sky, and the wild and wonderful whites of West Virginia. He also happens to be the husband of our very own Hollywood housewife and Sorta Awesome co-host, Laura Tremaine. So Jeff, welcome to Sorta Awesome. Thank you. We are so excited to have you here today as we're talking all about the entertainment industry. We couldn't think of anybody better to ask a few of these questions. But first, before we get into the questions, I was wondering if you could start with just telling us a little bit about your own Hollywood career. I know that your story of getting started in the entertainment industry is kind of different from Laura's. So I would love to hear the story of how you went from being the editor of a skateboard magazine to making a TV show. I was at a skateboarding magazine. I guess you'd call me the editor. I was running a, skate, a little independent skateboard magazine called Big Brother. Our magazine was really much more about humor and big, large characters than it was about skateboarding. Uh-huh. We were, we were kind of hiding behind skateboarding, making a funny magazine. Right. I love it. Yeah. And uh, eventually, it, back then uh, in skateboarding, it was a, it was a video culture. It was uh, the way kids saw how pros skated is they, they, they would 
get buy videos. Uh-huh. And uh, this is before the internet, mind you. This is this is going to show you how old I am. This is right, so in the what, early what? early nineties. Okay, early nineties. Okay. Yeah, nineteen ninety two to be exact is when I started there. So we started filming some of the escapades around our office and just uh, started filming out in the streets with some of the characters we would amass. Like we we were the magnet for the large personalities in skateboarding, right, uh, gotcha. who were the crazies, you know, and so. We would video that and we would get video submissions of all kinds of crazy stuff. And as, so we put together this first video and I really enjoyed putting that video together. I was, I was very natural in the edit bay working with the editor. But you didn't have any formal training in that, right? 0.0. But it was very much like putting together the magazine to me. It was the same sort of brain space, just a different application. Okay. And so we put out the first video, and it was it was very popular in the skateboarding world. It, it, it was one of the crazier videos that ever came out. And at this time, I had Wee Man working for me. Uh, he was uh, putting all of our magazines into bags, and sh- he was our magazine shipper, basically, to our subscribers. I had Chris Pontius as one of our writers. And soon after that first video, Johnny Knoxville started writing for us. Okay. We also had uh, Steve-O was one of our contributors. We, we discovered him somewhere along the way. And uh, when Johnny Knoxville came around, he was really good on camera. He could naturally speak to the camera. None of our other guys could speak. They could uh-huh. do funny stuff. They right. could fall down funny. They could eat fire, do whatever, but they could not speak. Uh, Knoxville was the first one we ever had that could actually talk to the camera and explain what was going on. Yeah, yeah, the- yeah. He wanted, like, so one of his things as a writer for the magazine was to do this sort of participatory journalism. He would do these stunts and write them, write about them. And one of the first things he ever wanted to do was try out all this self-defense equipment. He bought a taser gun, a stun gun, pepper spray, and a bulletproof vest. And it was, (laughs) by the way, the cheapest bulletproof vest on the market because he did not have any money. So it was the... (laughs) Best one he could afford, which was the worst one out there, probably. This is amazing. Um, yeah, and he wanted to go out and try all these things, and so uh, I thought that was a great idea. And I told him, "Well, not only are you, should you take pictures, but make sure you video it. We're now making videos as well." Right. Yeah. And so, so I first thought I'll send a camera along, but then I started thinking about that bulletproof vest. And I started getting nervous that, wait a minute, (laughs) one of my guys that I need working for me would be sort of an accomplice if if it really went wrong. So eventually I just said, I I told the cameraman, his name was Dimitri, I said, Dimitri, just give him the camera and tell him to film it. And Knoxville did. He came back with this tape. First, he pepper sprayed himself. A lot of this was seen on MTV, by the way. He pepper sprayed himself. He stun gunned himself. He tasered himself with the darts, you know, got electrocuted. And it was hilarious because he was explaining everything so clearly. And you're watching this character uh, go through all this trauma. But he was charming and and funny and fun to look at. Uh, And no one had ever done this before. I mean, it was was magic, right? Because no one was doing this yet on film when he kind of had started to to put these – videos together was there was some of it out there but not you know not so backyardy and amateur like what what was appealing was that there was the the camera work is completely amateur there's nothing professional at all going on other than and and keep in mind again this is before youtube so this is before the flood of all that you're right this is in the early days of all this um and the last thing he did uh was he put the bulletproof vest on 
And in my nervousness about that bulletproof vest, uh, at the time, my magazine was owned by Larry Flint. So I gave him a bunch of uh, magazines, all of pornographic by nature, mind you, uh, about six inches worth. And he stuffed those under the vest just to give it a little extra help in case. (laughs) (laughs) And so he he filmed himself trying to, to shoot himself in the chest. He's holding the gun a point blank to his chest and trying to shoot. Now, he also had a cheap gun. It was a, a high caliber, but I don't even know where he got the gun. Uh, but basically, it was a revolver, and he had one bullet in it. Oh, man. Somehow, he put the <laughs> bullet in the last chamber, so it had to click all the way around to make it fire. So it, without even intentionally doing it, it was the most dramatic. His friends didn't want to be there. Right. They're saying, come on, Johnny, let's just go home. We don't need to do this. Let's go home. Oh, my gosh. Uh, click. <laughs> Click, and then a car drives up, and so he gets nervous and runs away for a minute. Click again. Click again, and all of a sudden, all the magazines drop out. So he's, like, pointing a gun in his face while he's picking the magazine. Oh, my God. And, uh, and his friends are getting super freaked out. Right. Finally, he tucks the last magazine up there, and boom, just fire. And it is like watching a snuff film, other than he's hilarious, you know, after the fact. And... Uh, I apologize to your audience, but this is, you asked me to tell my story. This is it. Um, and it was the most compelling footage I've ever seen, to, maybe to this day. I mean, uh, uh, by the way, that bulletproof vest did work. Yeah, yeah, it did, Stop. apparently. Didn't touch the magazines. Uh, yeah, Johnny's still with us. So, yeah, yeah it all worked you know, out, but I was like super was nervous. That probably the main feature of our second video. That video uh, had also had uh, the first thing we ever shot with Steve O in it. It had uh, Chris Pontius doing some awful stuff. So at that, after that video, after we put out that video, after I basically put it together, I thought, you know what? I, I think I can make a TV show out of this. I don't know how to make a TV show, but I just feel like I have this cast of characters that are so exceptionally stupid <laughs> that I think we can do this. And so I called, first I called Johnny Knoxville and, and said, you know, I partnered up with him. And then I called Spike, who I grew up with, Spike Jones, uh, who basically got me the job at the magazine in the first place. He knew what we were up to. And I told him, I think we can make a TV show out of this. And he had seen the video. He knew what we were up to. He, he actually introduced me and Knoxville together in the first place and thought that was a great idea. And by now, Spike is, is already making – he's a big-time music video director. And his Hollywood career is well underway. He's well-established. And – even more importantly, he had a entertainment lawyer and a agency, CAA uh-huh. was his agent. And so they became our agent and we got a lawyer out of the deal. And so we partnered up and I went and then I called Bam and asked Bam if I could put some of the clips from his video into a sizzle tape. And I put together all of the best stuff that we shot for the Big Brother videos and all the stuff that Bam had. And there was a couple other wild videos out there that I grabbed stuff off of. And I put together ten minute, a 10-minute videotape. Mm-hmm. And it didn't tell any kind of story. It just had crazy crap throughout the whole thing. And that video – so I turned it in. That went, We turned it into our agency. And they started just sending it around to all the different networks. And apparently – all of the assistants at CAA, everyone was dubbing this thing. This thing went like wildfire. It spread virally the hard way. It was getting right. dubbed on just tapes. Yes. Overdubbed. So like by the time you would see it, it was like a 10th generation. It had, you could barely <laughs> make out what was on it, but it was right. 
pretty loud and crazy stuff for for people to see. You know, for me, I was kind of used to it. I was in this world, but for the outsiders, they thought it was absolutely crazy. Yeah. Anyway, it it just worked out that yeah, both Comedy Central and MTV wanted it. Uh, Spike had very good ins with MTV. We felt like we had better sort of. Spike was doing a lot of work there for years, and we just thought that they would look after us a little better and, and, and chaperone me into learning this. So I, 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 it, they made sense. That's why we went with MTV. It ended up being about the same dollars and cents as the Comedy Central offer, but we went with MTV. So in your path to Hollywood, instead of taking any kind of traditional or conventional route of you know starting out at an assistant level and working your way up, Yours is more of a story of inspiration and everything kind of coming together at the right time and, and having really the right vision to drive it yeah, forward. Yeah, without ever like. going to one film class, without ever working in the entertainment industry, my first job in entertainment is I'm an executive producer, which is basically the boss yeah. in television. <laughs> and I had no idea what we were doing, but I'm the boss, so everyone has to do what I say. And so... <laughs> We did everything wrong. That first season, including the pilot, we did everything wrong. It, it, I can't tell you how many things we did so wrong. I, it's, uh, it's a miracle that we ever got on air, to be honest, because during the pilot, uh, we had a lot of police intervention and an arrest, and <laughs> it almost all never happened. <laughs> Lawsuits and all that. Um, well, that is incredible. I did not know that part of the story. That is so funny. But even still, just having this sort of tenacity and, again, just a vision for what it could become, it sounds like really helped propel the series forward. And also the uncanny chemistry of your cast coming together the way it did. That could, that's not something that I don't think could have been planned. Just your cast came together and everybody clicked and... In- at the beginning, it wasn't even a cast. It was whoever. It was a wide open door. We didn't know what we were doing. It's so funny because once we made the deal, we started thinking, all right, well, how are we going to make this now a TV show? Do we need a desk? Knoxville, are you going to sit behind a desk and are we going to introduce clips? In a, we were thinking traditionally. Sure, yeah. And it ended up, I think it was Spike who just said, yeah, no, quit trying to make it something that's not. You know that tape we put out? That's what people want to see. The tape was exactly in the format of Jackass. It just, as soon as a bit was done, it dipped to black new scene came up uh we were very into helvetica we did we lowercase helvetica has always been my stamp yeah. uh it is sort of anti we were anti mtv graphics at the time we were so we wanted the show to be just stripped down to nothing we weren't even in in control of the aesthetic we were just we liked it how it, it, we wanted it homemade looking. We didn't right. try to make it home. We couldn't do it any other way. We, that's all we were capable of making it. <laughs> right. Other yeah, than we totally would not allow sense. there to be slick graphics and we didn't want there to be anything more than the music we liked in it. We were very strict about not letting other voices come in and, and change it. Spike was a real strict guardian for us. And, you know, Knoxville and I felt very strongly on it's got to be our way or it's not going to work. Gotcha. And then it spawned like hundreds and thousands of spinoffs. I mean, people have been imitating it since its inception. <laughs> I, I, I think some of that. I think there's a natural tendency to take a video camera and make your friends do stupid stuff in front of it. I don't think we invented anything <laughs> there other than we were the first to get it like that on TV. And now everybody can do that, though. Like people have YouTube channels. People have... Periscope, people have yeah. all kinds of things that are homemade. Either with slip, slip yeah. graphics or not, but do you feel like 
it's awesome that it's open season on people being content creators at home, or do you feel like that's been done? And no, I'm I'm always I I surf the web for stupidity all the time. I am endlessly entertained by <laughs> homemade video. <laughs> right. uh, you know, and I I would say maybe our our aesthetic appeal like showed people look, oh God, if they if this can get on TV, anything can. Like, <laughs> I could make a TV show look, look better than that. Uh, so I think, you know, that DIY aesthetic uh, was appealing and, and, and made it less daunting to go out and do stuff. But it, again, it wasn't very intentional on our part. It well, was just yeah. the best of our ability. Yeah. In that sense, Jackass truly was culture changing in that it brought something to the foreground, to the mainstream that hadn't been done before. And then like Laura said, now has been sort of copied or you could say recreated in so many different mediums in so many different ways. So that is such a fascinating story to have never taken a film direction class, a film class at all. And then your very first job is leading this show. So that is amazing. I love it. We asked some of our community members if they had anything they wanted to kind of hear from you all about the entertainment industry. Laura, I think you had our first question that we were going to discuss with Jeff on the show today. It kind of goes to what we were talking about, but several people wanted to know how one would go about getting a job in the entertainment industry now. Do you feel like you have to be living in Los Angeles? And our sort of awesome co-host, Kelly Gordon, specifically wants to know how much depends on how good you are versus who you know. Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I, my path to Hollywood is who I knew first and foremost, that opened the door. That door wouldn't stay open if, if I didn't have something original to put down that pipeline, but definitely who I knew like got the meeting. So that's a, you, you, you have, if, if you're talking about being a creator and first and foremost, you have to have your idea buttoned up. You have to know what you want. Today is such a great time for creators because of the availability and simplicity of all the editing equipment and cameras. You can do so much just by yourself on a your laptop, even on your phone nowadays. Right, I mean, it's, yeah. It, the game has changed so much. For us, even as simplistic as we were, we still needed big editing equipment and transferring the tape. You know, It was shooting it on tape, taking the tape, digitizing the tape, doing very traditional <laughs> editing. <laughs> Which has gotten so pared down, you know. Right. A lot of the traditional obstacles that would have stood in the way of people just creating their own thing and doing it really have been erased by the technology that that is available today. So true. I know my girls are super, super into YouTube culture. They love YouTube channels. They have their favorite YouTube stars. And I know a lot of the YouTube Uh, content creators that are sort of like in their early 20s, mid 20s, they are moving to Los Angeles and are doing a lot of their production stuff in LA. And it just it is so interesting to think about like, some of them, I think maybe are trying to cross that barrier from being just on YouTube to mainstream entertainment. But I think some of them are happy with just being YouTube celebrities. And so that's an interesting question too, about what it takes to make it in entertainment today. Maybe it is because of the way that anybody can do so much of this stuff today, maybe there's more eyeballs on those who have just pure talent that they can put out there. So 
yeah, it's much easier to get seen now. That that talent, other than there's just so much of it out there, you got to weed through so much of it. But now versus before, you had to get it through a Hollywood channel, right? Somehow, right? But now you don't need Hollywood. You can make your own YouTube channel, and a lot of those guys do make such a good living. They don't need to cross over. Like YouTube stars are surviving on being YouTube stars quite well. Very well, yeah. In fact, they probably make more on their own channels than they would if they had their own show on MTV. Yeah. Other than that would open up a new avenue for them. But really, financially speaking at the time, I think they make more probably on their own YouTube channel. At this point, I think it's mostly a prestige thing. I mean, to get on TV or in a movie or something, because eyeballs to eyeballs, those YouTube people have more people seeing their stuff than some most television stars. Yeah, it's true. Um, Millions and the paychecks can be comparable, if not more, on your own. There's no middleman on your own. Yeah, these YouTube kids, some of them do get it. So many, it's it's just hard to gauge whether where those eyeballs are. But where I gauge, though, is that, or an indicator for me, is that TV people are now having to go to the internet. So like those James Corden videos that I love, those carpool karaoke, the talk show hosts and those guys, they are having to think first of what their viral content is going to be, what's going to go on the internet in addition to making their show. Absolutely. And they they air those things on the show, but those get seen way more times on the internet. I've watched all of those carpool karaoke videos and I've never watched his show one single time. Oh, I'm the same way. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, another question that we had that I am super interested to hear your answer about, our community member Katie asked about the impact, if anything, that streaming services like Netflix, Amazon Prime, those types of things have had or are going to have on the film industry. We talk about Amazon Prime and Netflix shows on the show all the time. So I am super interested to hear your thoughts on this, Jeff, as we move forward to sort of into this new age, what changes are coming for the film industry because of streaming services? Well, as a, as a creator, these services are fantastic because they're just opening up a new avenue. It's just more places to sell things. You know, it's, it's more, more opportunities for a creator. What I like about what Netflix and Hulu and Amazon, what they're doing, they, they are doing very high-end, really smart stuff that's sort of hard to market. They, they've got their niche, right? That, that, and it's kind of the niche that I like to watch things. It's more of the HBO niche than it is yes. the ABC niche, right? Like, so they're going for these really specific and creative and, and, and they're pushing it, you know, and I, I, that's yes. what I love about all of it. I think, one, their, their budgets are good enough to make they're, – they're making quality stuff and they're pushing the envelope. But the model is so different. They're releasing the whole season in one time. They don't release ratings. You don't know how these shows are doing and you can watch them all in one weekend. But that's totally different from a traditional TV that's, model. Yeah, true, true. They they do. I know they 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 have their ways of figuring out whether it's successful or not. Obviously, but but their model is different, and it's much more friendly in a lot of ways. As far as affecting theatrical, I I, I don't know that it does. You know, there there. I think theatrical. There's a fight going on because a lot of times, I think some studios would prefer to release <laughs> a movie simultaneously in theaters is it's hard it's hard to say what it, it, the the long term effect is it doesn't seem to be affecting box offices that much right now as far as i can tell it's definitely uh affecting network ratings absolutely and, yes uh and the way people view things so 
they're definitely starting to compete and it's got the networks nervous and there's less eyeballs. It's going to affect the budgets and everything becomes smaller as it spreads out. So it definitely affects, it affects everything. I mean, it's competing with, it's a new, it's a new landscape and it's competing with the big old school boys. So, but for a creator, it's just more opportunities. That's how I look at it. That's great. That's great. I love that. Well, I'm going to switch gears a little bit because we had several questions that had to do more with the two of you in family life living in Los Angeles. Obviously, neither of you grew up in LA, grew up in this kind of the culture that your kids are growing up in. We've talked about a little bit about the YouTube thing. And I have to tell you, just like on a personal level, my younger daughter, AJ, is the one that's super obsessed with YouTube. And she watches these channels, especially like family vloggers, where they're just filming their everyday life and they have millions of people who tune in to watch their family life played out on the internet. And she is obsessed with the idea that anybody can be famous, that anybody could just, if she could get her hands on a camera and if she could get a YouTube channel going, that she's pretty convinced that she could be famous too. So I think that's a a pretty prevalent thing that's happening with our kids as they are seeing people come out of nowhere, literally, and have this at least internet fame, if not that crossover fame to the bigger mainstream culture. I would love to hear from both of you, really, as you're raising your kids in Los Angeles, where this idea of fame is a is a much more tangible, real part of reality, what differences are you are you seeing in the way that you raise your kids in LA? And also with having, you know, growing up with having a dad who works hands on in the entertainment industry? How are you guys navigating that? How do you help them stay grounded? Uh, what inspiration do you draw on to kind of keep a sense of reality about it while, you know, acknowledging the fact that they're the parents of their friends are famous and, and well known? And what does that look like for you guys? Well, first of all, our kids are so little. They're only four and six. We have not had to deal with this too much. So I I can't give any advice or grand family plan that we have because we're just winging it every day. I will say that our kids definitely have a different idea of celebrity than I did growing up in small town Oklahoma, just because they truly do not understand or think that it's a big deal to have someone they know on TV. Right. Yeah. So they're people in their life who are uncle-like figures will be on TV and will be like, look, there's, you know, someone, look, there's your friend's mom, whoever. And they do not, even their own dad. And even they, themselves. <laughs> even themselves. One of them was in something of Jeff's. And they just don't think that's a big deal. Whereas when I was a kid, if I saw anybody on TV, even if it was like my local tiny news station, right. I thought they were famous immediately. <laughs> and it was like a huge thing. And our kids are definitely just growing up with celebrity not being this huge, magical, unattainable thing because they know people who are well known and they don't, it doesn't phase them, which is shocking for me because I mean, I've been out here many years and I still am very excited when I see someone I know on TV. I just think it's thrilling. I think it's so fun. Yeah. And our kids are not, that's not their point of view. Let's just say that if Elsa walked into our house... (laughs) In her full queen regalia, yes. You know, so, or we saw Elsa on the street, our daughter would freak out. But <laughs> that's true. So it, it hasn't hit us on a lot of levels, but they they definitely 
have a skewed perspective from where we were and they've seen themselves on TV. So it's, it's odd. Well, they'll always know people who are famous and they'll always know them as normal people. So I think they'll never have that skewed perspective of a famous person being a magical figure, Elsa, notwithstanding. Right. Like regular famous people will always be regular people to them, I think, in a way that I did never felt. Yeah, yeah. Although I, I don't think we have a solid game plan in place to... <laughs> or anything. <laughs> to guard them from Hollywood or... I, in many ways, their world is pretty normal, right? Like sure. we have a relatively normal family. Um, <laughs> I think our family is as normal as any family. We do everyday things with them. And uh, I think that's the best safeguard is just to keep their lives as normal as possible. And, uh, you know. Yes. Right. Yeah. We're really, we're pretty normal on about six out of ten levels. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to say. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, I don't know. We've never had a right. family in any other city or in any other industry. So it's that's kind of true. hard to tell. I, that's true. I know that we're not fully normal, but I think we... We're normal-ish, and we don't let them watch much of your stuff. Yeah. I mean, they know that Daddy makes commercials and TV shows. They've seen some. They've been to the set of Ridiculousness and stuff like that. But, I mean, um, they— yeah, We're, we're age-appropriate with them. I right, think, right, right, right. You know, very. In, we're very age-appropriate yeah, with them. I think we're pretty good about— That totally makes Letting sense. them stay kids and, and handle things as they can handle it. Uh, yeah, I think that's the, about the best that any parent can do, regardless of what culture you're raising your kids up in. It's just, yeah— Make sure that you are staying tuned into what's going on and kind of respond from there, I think, is what most of us are doing in the day-to-day business of parenting. So I will say that when Jeff and I started out as parents, even when I was pregnant with our daughter, like we were real adamant that we were not going to be Hollywood parents. Like we were not going to be L.A. parents. And then, you know, things happen when we're like, well... You're really L.A. parents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny how those things can change uh, no matter how much you think they're not going to happen. They do. Um, I actually, Jeff, I have one more question for you. You know, we, we've been talking about the entertainment industry because we're moving into awards season. And so, Jeff, I have a, I have a question for you that I have thought about as we've been talking about, you know, what movies are up for best picture, best director, those types of things. As you know, my husband coached college football for 11 years. And after he left coaching, he finds it super hard to watch any football games because he cannot just sit back and watch the game. He's watching the defense lineup. He's thinking about what call should be made. He's watching the offense come off the field and thinking about what call he would make then. So it becomes this technical endeavor that he can't enjoy because he knows so much about what's going on as those players are going on and off the field and the plays are being called. When you sit down to watch a movie, do you experience any of that at all? Are you, are you able to totally lose yourself in the experience of the film or are there parts of your brain that just can't let go of thinking about why they shot that scene that way or why the lighting turned out that way, those types of things? Most of the time I watch movies just like anybody else. I think I get caught up in the story or I, maybe I tune it out quicker if it's not working. I, I don't think I do, though. I think I'm pretty normal about it. If I care about the character, I get into it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do then as I'm watching. It's usually more on an appreciation than it is on a, oh, I wouldn't have done something like that. It's more... It's more of an awe thing. 
when I'm watching a movie and I see something really well done, I I appreciate it. Like, uh, I guess what comes to mind is last last year we were watching Birdman. Uh And right away I was just in awe of how it was shot. You know, it's just one fluid shot. Right, And uh, And I was just watching it and watching it like that. And I don't think, Laura, I don't think you noticed that until I called it out. No. You Uh, always notice things that I don't in movies. Like, you'll often notice a really cool shot that I didn't understand how complicated that was until you say it. You might do it more than you realize. Maybe. It's possible. You know, I do do know what goes into getting those shots. Right, yeah. So I can't not see that, but in the same sense, my brain lets me get into the story pretty quickly and easily. I, I can pretty much watch a movie and not not even think about it technically. Like usually right. I get mad at myself for not being a little more breaking it down as I'm trying gotcha. to amass a skill set in that world. I, I usually should be being a little more attentive <laughs> to how did they actually do that versus just being caught up in the magic like everyone else. So that makes sense. That makes sense. That is Tell us your um tell us your pick for best picture of the year. My the favorite movie I saw in the theater this year. My favorite movie so far is the new Mad Max movie. I think that was the yeah. best movie that I've seen so far. But I haven't seen many of the contenders that are up against it. So, gotcha. But God, did I love that movie. They rebooted that franchise so smartly and so well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was just pure heavy metal. <laughs> and so I loved it. Fantastic. I love it. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and talk entertainment industry stuff with us. This has been so fun to hear your inside scoop on some of these answers. And it's been so fascinating, too, to hear how all of this plays out in the family life of the Tremaines, too. So thank you guys so much. Thank you. It was fun. All right. Well, we got so many great questions that we really could have gone several different directions with this show. We are saving some of your questions about celebrities, celebrity culture, life in Los Angeles. We're going to save those, hang on to them, and we're going to explore those so much more in the future. In the meantime, we would love to hear your thoughts on the entertainment industry, on Jeff and Laura's life in Los Angeles, any of these things that you want to talk to us about. You can always find us on social media so we can continue the discussion over there. Laura, remind us where we can find you all around the web. I'm still at hollywoodhousewife.com, and that's where you can sign up for my secret post emails. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram as HollywoodHWife and on Facebook as The Hollywood Housewife. Awesome. Well, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sorta Awesome Meg. Come and talk to us on Facebook in the Hangout group. We're at facebook.com slash groups slash Sorta Awesome Hangout. We're also on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show. Thanks for listening, and we'll see y'all next time. Sorta Awesome was created by me, Megan Teets, and is produced each week in collaboration with Kelly Gordon, Rebecca Hoffer, and Laura Tremaine. Visit us on the web at SortaAwesomeShow.com, where you can sign up for the show's newsletter, connect with the Sorta Awesome community, and find show notes for each episode of Sorta Awesome. Music is provided by the band Prager. Find out more at PragerMusic.com. We'll meet you back here next time as we discover, explore, and discuss all the things that make life sorta amazingly awesome.
Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.